1: Welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, I have the delight and honor today of speaking with Dr. John Brockington, um, a towering figure in the field. He is Emeritus Professor of Sanskrit at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, John, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you for the welcome. It's good to be here.
1: Yes, indeed. Now, uh, you've certainly had a productive and illustrious career in, in loosely Indology, um, South Asian studies, we'll talk more specifically about your your area of expertise for maybe some of our more generalist audience, uh, public audiences who may not be aware of your work. But would you tell us a little bit, if you don't mind, about your your journey into this field
0: of study? What was that like for you? Sure. Well, I, it all started when I came up to Oxford actually to read classics, that's, that's in Greek. Uh, the first part of the degree there at that date which is back in 1959 uh, was uh, the first part was mainly language and to some extent literature but the second part uh, of the degree was on ancient history and philosophy my interest at that stage was very much in language the way that languages work and so on and since in the first part i came I uh, did also a minor, uh subject of comparative philology. I just discovered a little about Sanskrit and decided that that was certainly much better for the main part of my degree than did the ancient history and philosophy. Uh, so I made the change um, then in early in 1961. I uh, had to spend the Easter vacation of that year uh, rapidly learning what the other member of the uh, course had done in uh, two terms. Um, Anyway, I did that, and so started on Sanskrit seriously. uh, Then, in the summer term of 1961, 1961 was indeed an important year for me, uh, because later that same year, uh, Mary came up to Oxford uh, to read French, and well, we're both of us still here together, and that's an important factor in my whole career.
1: Uh, For those listening, uh, um, uh, Mary Brockington is also. Uh, and also, scholar in the field, and we'll talk a little bit about her contribution uh, in due course. Um, but it's been quite some decades, quite some decades,
0: with your journey. And, and yes, looking, and at, I was, uh, looking back, and yes, I mean, I, I graduated in 1963, which is now uh, what's that? Uh, well, it's twenty, 20 years it's, ago. It's, <laughs> luckily,
1: it's 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 a uh, it's a uh, it's an even number, so the math isn't too difficult. Yes. Um, <laughs> What would you, how, I mean, there's so many questions, there's so many directions in which we can take this conversation and I have to toggle between wanting to take deep dives <laughs> into nerdy <laughs> questions about the Ramayana with you, but perhaps we can save that for a, a, a post-conference or some such thing. Um, so uh, I think it's fair to say that one of your great uh, areas of interest uh, is uh, the Ramayana. Uh, yes, that's you tell us
0: my, tel- my research interest all through. I mean, that goes right back to my... Um, Doctoral thesis, which I started then in '63, uh, had to well lengthen a bit because I then got the post at Edinburgh in 1965, um, and that also was a significant um, factor in my later uh, career. In that uh, straight away, my appointment there was primarily to teach. Related topics. So, that in fact, I first of all designed and then was teaching a first level course on Indian civilization uh, to be followed by one on Indian religion and philosophy at the second level. Um, and that was the background, I mean, the basis on which then Edinburgh University Press asked me uh, to write the book that became The Sacred Thread, okay. uh, which has enjoyed, well, in the past, very considerable uh, popularity. Uh, two British editions, two Indian, um, a Polish translation, and a Hungarian one. Um, So that uh, broader aspect of my teaching then went side by side with my concentration in research on the Ramayana. Uh, First of all, very much on the uh, language and style of the Valmiki Ramayana, that indeed was the title of my uh, thesis, Uh, but steadily broadening out, well, for one thing, when I saw the implications of that study of the language, that there were uh, marked differences in in, in linguistic uh, details between different parts of the text, and that these did correlate, so far as I could see, uh, with various developments in social and religious uh, elements, uh, that it was obvious that there was a considerable chronological development o- over time that you could trace in this uh, way uh, besides the purely select subjective ones of uh, an assumed uh, development of society
1: yeah one of um uh, it goes without saying that um based on the the, the caliber and uh, certainly the you're standing in the academic community uh, every respect for you as a scholar uh, but um what augmented my respect was a time i think about five years ago seven years ago i think i'd sent a paper or something maybe as part of my a thesis or an article and it was looking at a synchronic read of the of the valmiki ramayana talking about the themes we see in in, in in sort of um the 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 the, 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 uh, the curse verse and the sorrow and the separation yeah mm-hmm. and and it, it was, yeah but it, it was one thing i really admire and um hope to also uh, undertake myself in life is the entertaining of different viewpoints because you're so skilled at the diachronic read and you made some insightful comments about accounting for um, some of what I was saying. And at the same time, you were able to see the value in, you know, my particular MO with the Ramayana, I mean, and the Puranas and uh, certain Devi Mahatmya, what have you, uh,
0: clearly they're diachronically produced, I mean, without question but it just seems to I can interrupt i mean i think here the point is that a text is in a sense complete i mean a text is what it is at any particular stage in its development and so it's perfectly reasonable to uh, discuss it at, as a current as synchronically uh, provided you are aware that you are talking about it at particular periods um, and if you're taking it in its fullest extent then it is at its latest uh, period um, but yes, that you can possibly tease out more by looking at uh, matters diachronically, but there's the room for both approaches, certainly. Uh, um brilliant. Could you say a little bit more about or
1: how might you characterize your your fascination and your draw for the Valmikira mine or the story of Rama
0: in general? Well, it actually started in a sense almost by accident that at that period. Uh, when I was looking for a subject, uh, and this was the recommendation from my professor. Uh,
1: A a subject found you.
0: In a sense, yes. Uh, The uh, critical edition of the Reminder was in the middle of being um, published at that point. And so this provided what was uh, potentially um, a more interesting text to study compared with the multitude of um, existing editions. Um, And yes, certainly it it did provide a different kind of basis for uh, what I was doing. And so that was the starting point uh, for it, looking at presenting linguistic features and from that moving on steadily to look at all of the aspects of the uh, Rama story. And indeed over the years then we've gradually developed and widened um, all the way through to well, not the modern period, we carefully stick clear of that because that's taking just too many factors into consideration. Uh, but up to about the 18th century, looking at, and necessarily much of it at, through translation, at the spread of the Rama story, not only throughout India, but all through um, Southeast Asia. Mm.
1: Given your um, sustained study over uh, a fair period of time, could you comment a bit on perhaps how your thinking or perspectives have changed over the course of your study
0: developed perhaps well, i think the main one has been simply this of expansion of the range of, un- of understanding and interest of the story and uh, the way in which the requirements of society at Different periods and different societies. I mean, this is one of the uh, major features of the Rama story that it has managed to make the transition successfully, not merely from a background which what became what we basically call Hindu, uh, to being narrated by the Jains, who took a rather revisionist attitude towards it, but Buddhists who could accommodate it quite easily. I mean, there were many analogies between the concept of the Bodhisattva in Mahayana Buddhism in particular, with the concept of Rama as uh, Vishnu's avatar, uh, to then even in some Muslim countries, uh, it has been told, um, Malaysia in particular, the Malay, the say Rama. But uh, the ways in which then um, the story is adapted, but yet it's... Basic narrative has to be um, uh, retained. I mean, this is one aspect of our joint work that uh, Mary has in particular been pursuing, um, looking at, at such transformations from the aspect of narrative studies. What, what implications of any change in the story are uh, subject to these uh, societal changes and how they affect then, uh, the story and how you have to accommodate these changes in ways that aren't necessarily immediately foreseeable by the um, new uh, compiler or author in some new language and society.
1: Thank you for making mention of um, of Mary's contribution. Is there anything you want to add or, or any way in which you want to characterize her contribution to the field before we move on?
0: I think it is uh, the it's rather different approach as I said I started off very very much as uh, as a linguist, looking at things purely from aspect of linguistic change uh, Mary's background was a degree in French where she was had been studying much more uh, literature and the way that uh, uh, literary conventions work and brought this kind of background to uh, what I was doing on the uh, Ramina and what well, suited then to pursue this from her angle, and the two then have proved very much complementary in what we're doing.
1: Uh, Great cross-pollination, it seems. So you've been working on a project um, that we might call the uh, uh, the Ramayana Archive. Uh, Could you tell us a bit about that project?
0: Uh, Well, yes. uh, This uh, came back some while after we'd moved back to Oxford from Edinburgh. Right. We chose Oxford because we were both familiar with the place and had access to the Bodleian Library as graduates. Are you are you currently in Oxford? Hmm. Uh, we're close to Oxford, a place called Yarnton. It's a village about five miles out of Oxford.
1: But please continue. The reason why I interrupted you, which I typically never do, is that I happen to be visiting Oxford in a couple of weeks, but we'll talk oh, about right. this.
0: But uh, please continue
1: about the archive. Yes, uh,
0: so after a while, I mean by this time we we're already um, uh, getting on in age. Uh, we've been here uh, well, just about 12 years now, but uh, after a bit. Making contacts with fellow scholars here in Oxford, which has proved to be far more rewarding than we had anticipated when we moved. As I say we primarily, the um, move was uh, for library access, because the libraries of Oxford uh, are far superior to what was available in Edinburgh. And when we were considering that we could move from Edinburgh to anywhere we wanted, where we were keen to choose somewhere with a good ideological library, which limited us, in effect, to Oxford, Cambridge or London. The choice then was obvious, it was Oxford. Uh, so here we are, I say, meeting much more fully with scholars, including, of course, naturally, the uh, Indian Institute librarian, the title she still holds, as she's now the um, head of Oriental uh, Library from the title of the head of the Oriental Division. Anyway, she, uh, when we were discussing questions of how to keep our uh, continuing research somehow available, uh, suggested this possibility of the Oxford Research Archive, which is in the main used for you know, depositing of um, of graduates' theses when they're finished, and indeed, in particular, for many in science subjects, of course, all of the background data necessary for uh, their you know, for the proper study of their uh, uh, theses or whatever. And so, we began from uh, about five or six years ago now to uh, enter onto this what we were currently uh, working on, and uh, in considerable measure, indeed, what you might call the background data, uh, to our studies. And so this is basically then what's entered upon the Oxford Research Archive as the development and spread of the Rama story, pre-modern, under our joint names.
1: We've included the link uh, for the archive in the podcast notes, of course, so if there are folks interested, uh, by all means... uh, um check it out is oh, this uh, is this an archive that you are continuing uh, you know uh, who maintains it or are you continuing to contribute to it or are you yes
0: you know? we we've been updating it at roughly yearly intervals ever since uh mm-hmm. the last one was back in august last year and you know basically we have the most up-to-date version of our continuing work on is on our own computers and then when we think is mm-hmm. enough Development to be worth and doing, so we get in contact with the right person in the and Library system, and it's loaded uh, onto that as a an update.
1: It's, it's a great tool. It Was actually your your email uh, last August that uh, prompted me to reach out and say, "Well, let's have a podcast conversation." And it was right ours because it was it's uh, you know clearly there are those there are those out there who um, probably would delight at such a resource. And if, uh, given the, the time and energy and care to, to create it, why not publicize it somewhat? Now, would you say the archive is um, primarily what you're currently working on or is there something else
0: in the works for you? It's uh, a mix of a number of different things. Uh, well, there's uh, several um, se- uh, com- complete folders in it. Uh, one which I'm marry. Responsible for the bibliographic entries uh, under the various topics into which then we categorize the material. Categorizing inevitable to try and make some kind of sense of the material, but of course no categorization ever works perfectly. Uh, so there's a, a separate folder there of uh, relevant uh, secondary sources, uh, as well as translations and texts for. for all of the major uh, texts on visual material and uh, so on. Then there's our studies of the material. Uh, one is pr- primarily my responsibility a, a, a is a, a continuous essay on the development of the Rama tradition, uh, basically trying to draw out the main threads as we see them as yet. In the material that we've compiled. Uh, another one from Mary concentrating on studying the way in which the narrative was uh, developed and changed in the addition of the Bala and Uttarakhandas to the uh, Valmiki Ramayana uh, and all of the indications of that. So, uh, yes, and then, yes, this is uh, the most. Significant contribution on it, probably by Mary, is the uh, folder that's called Narrative Elements, which is an indexing basically of the various uh, component elements of the narrative in as many uh, versions of the story as we have yet been able to deal with, uh, which is by no means every uh, one, but uh, a very large selection. and thereby are beginning to trace more fully the, not only the, the ways in which the story has changed, uh, I mean, that's based, you know, the basis of it, but then what the implications of that are. And when you can see a big enough uh, picture, you can begin to make more sense of it.
1: Yeah, it's that, it's that uh, interplay or synergy between text and context. I mean, sometimes it's chicken and egg, isn't it?
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: um, is there anything else about the archive or uh, your work um, that you hope we would touch on today? I realize that you've, you've got some constraints with your time, so we'll keep it as streamlined as possible. But what else might you like to touch on, if anything?
0: Uh, let me think. Well, for one thing, uh, an important part of my career certainly has been also uh, international contacts, um, which... Partly again arose from the British situation, where there were very limited numbers of scholars in the same field, um, and well, partly just again accident. Uh, But yes, one of the early contacts we had was with a fellow uh, scholar in Germany, who was then one of those involved in the production of the uh, Epic and Pranic bibliography published from Tubingen, and we both were involved in that from quite an early stage. By providing various uh, bibliographic details for the epic side of things, because those involved at Tubingen were primarily uh, involved uh, with Puranic studies. Uh, And Mary, as well, uh, advisor on English and also proofreader. So, one way or another, we had quite a major input into that. Um, Also, although these contexts have mostly been within the Sanskrit field, not uh, exclusively. Um, We have, both of us together, for instance, attended the uh, International Folklore Conference in uh, Mysore back in, I think it was 1995, uh, and both presented papers there, uh, destroying then on uh, our own uh, different approaches to the field. Uh, but uh, more specifically in the Sanskrit area, uh, mm-hmm. I, from quite an early period, was regularly attending the International uh, Association of Sanskrit Studies World Sanskrit Conferences, and then in due course was elected as Secretary General in 2000. Um, and I think I may say that, well, not was only really, was this partly through my main contacts, but I did have some. Some impact on the disciplines through that, too. Yeah, it's, uh, and of course, another uh, uh, conference which we were both jointly very much involved in setting up, along with uh, Mislav Yezic, uh, were the Dubrovnik uh, International Conference on Sanskrit Epics and Puranas, uh, which, uh, yes, again, this same colleague, uh, Peter Schreiner, from. Uh, Germany now in Switzerland, um, and uh, I and Mislav, basically together, were setting up. And again, I think this has had quite a significant impact on the on the field of both epic and paradigms. Mm-hmm. And again, there too, Mary was heavily involved, not only in the organisation at an early stage, but as uh, editor, uh, first jointly with Peter, and then second volume on her own as the editor of the proceedings.
1: Well, I can say, I can certainly say as a, as a, a much more junior scholar than yourself, perhaps not a spring chicken, but definitely <laughs> a more junior scholar, uh, I've certainly been the beneficiary of uh, the World Sanskrit Conference and the, the, the sort of profound meeting of people uh, enjoyed a number of rich exchanges and conversations and connections, ended up editing a couple of volumes coming out of that conference. And so with that question, um, that conference has been probably a game changer to the field. The Department Conference, I attended once, but it was online because it was COVID. And I very much look forward to perhaps this year attending for the first time in person. I've heard... All round by all of our uh, epics and puranas uh, colleagues, that it's a delightful conference indeed. Um, no, but, but somewhat, perhaps, uh, due, of course its its setting. Uh, but yes, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Depending on where one is traveling from, it's probably a milder and, and more pleasant setting. But but
0: um, uh, I think yeah, I very think, much look forward. I think our days of attending in person probably are uh, by now over, uh, but uh, certainly. It has been an important part in our lives, as well as, I think, our having made a significant contribution to it. Um I still go back to the memories of the first meeting, not the except one, but a preliminary meeting even before then, a few years before, uh, where this was in the immediate aftermath of the uh, Civil War there, which saw Croatia become an independent state. and. Um, Well, somewhat surreal, should we say, nearly as surreal as um, traveling to the World Territory Conference that was held in Weimar while there was still the DDR, the uh, German Democratic Republic and the border controls. Well, (laughs) yes, the the border guards were so mystified by my having had uh, received an advance uh, visa uh, for which I should have then have paid them a fee at you know at that point that they just waved me through eventually <laughs> you know, looked at this and scanned it for ages couldn 't make head it tail really of it anyway
1: just just pass <laughs> excellent well thank you very much for your your work on the archive your your significant contribution to the field, and of course. Uh, your role in setting up these these formative and transformative uh conference experiences and thank you for being on the podcast today
0: oh, uh, thank you. you
1: for those listening we've of course been speaking um with uh john brockington who is emeritus professor of sanskrit at the university of edinburgh touching uh, just the tip of the tip of the iceberg on um some of his work um in the field along with that of of mary brockington um Check out the archive if you're remotely interested. The link is in the podcast notes. Until next time, keep well, keep listening, keep reading, and uh, keep looking up nerdy online um, uh, Indology archives. Take care.